Hello, everyone, and welcome to Real Blend, a podcast that knows every single Infinity War spoiler, but will not reveal any of them today, we absolutely <laughs> promise. My name is Sean O'Connell. I'm the managing editor here of Cinema Blend. And as always, I'm joined by my beloved co-host, starting with Jake Hamilton from Fox 32 in Chicago. Jake, how are you? I'm doing well. And yeah, unlike Forbes magazine, we will not be revealing all of the Infinity War spoilers because we're not douchebags. Super disappointing. I mean, <laughs> there's no reason for that piece to exist. We will throw them under the bus uh, later, I'm sure. But first, Kevin McCarthy, the entertainment reporter from Fox 5 in Washington, D.C., joins us as well. Kevin, how are you? Sean, uh, Jake, Gabe, good afternoon to you guys, and uh, Dunkirk. Dunkirk. I just want to say Dunkirk. Yes. Yeah, get, that, get that in early this time, that's all. Uh, today, for all of you, we are going to be reacting to Avengers Infinity War, which is uh, the biggest movie of the year without question, and arguably the biggest movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, we're going to be reacting to uh, the film and discussing it and giving you our opinions on it without spoilers. Like, that's something I want to emphasize right off the bat. If you've tuned into us live on the Facebook page, if you downloaded us later uh, and you haven't seen the film yet, we're going to be able to get into some discussions about it without giving it anything away. Very, very important to note, you need to experience this film for yourself on the biggest screen possible, and we are not here to ruin it for you. And we're all professionals. I mean, we we all know what we're doing. We're not going to give anything away. Uh, if you're if you're tuning in, you're like, oh, I need, I'll tune out later on. I mean, we have all reviewed the film. Jake and I reviewed it today on television. It, it's very simple to review this movie without spoiling anything. I mean, the spoilers are so obvious that we're not going to get into that realm. No. So uh, and, and well, it'll be it'll be fun. And we're going to do a, a podcast next Monday, another live one where we will, since it's been open, and we assume that a lot of people are going to go opening weekend. We will use that one to dive into all of the open discussions where we talk about everything that happened. Because believe me, there is. Now, is that too soon? I, and this is, Jake and I discussed this a lot sometimes, or we discussed it before, about when is the uh, the realm of when you can talk spoilers. Right. And I think, obviously, by Monday, there's going to be a lot of, of uh, YouTube videos up of people doing spoiler reviews, and we'll have a, a, a thing. But when do you, when can you talk about but it? But there's a difference between, like, hey, we are all agreeing and warning you ahead of time that we're having a spoiler-filled discussion, right. and walking into your place of work and, and, and screaming out loud. So can you guys believe that this person died? Like there, yeah. it's all about like the pre warning ahead of time. And, and, and I think, uh, at least allowing people to have the chance I agree. a couple of days before we give them a heads up that we're going to have a spoiler discussion, I think is more than yeah. enough time. Totally. Yeah. And I think the title of our podcast probably will be spoiler uh, review of infinity, whatever uh, Gabe's going to title yeah. it. But yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I think if, if there's a, if there's a casing before it showing that. But as we've said earlier, there's been articles that are already out that still do that. Oh, dude. That list every spoiler. I'm like, why? In the comment like, section, yeah. the comment section underneath our review on Cinema Blend, people just listed a list of spoilers. Like, I'm, I'm in oh there just deleting God. things. Really? Constantly. Yes, what is, constantly. What's wrong with people? I, the day Force Awakens opened, uh, I posted my review. It was completely spoiler free. And some guy or some person posted a comment in my review of an image of Han Solo dying. Kevin! Uh, and, why would you give that away? Uh, oh, come on. Like, <laughs> that, that, that's like spoiling the sixth sense at this point. But no, but but seriously, like, I was like, first of all, why do people live to do that? I don't get... And that, we're talking about Force Awakens. I'm, not, I'm talking about, like, two, three years yeah, ago. Yeah. But I, I don't understand why people live to ruin things for I, I just imagine that, like, you know, not to get too deep into this or too heavy, that, like, we're talking right. about people that just have genuinely so little going on with their lives mm -hmm. that they have to uh they they enjoy that right 
Yeah. All right. Yeah. Anyway, well, we're going to so. get into our conversation about Infinity War in a little bit, but let's start um, like we normally start, and we'll dive into some of the biggest news of the week. I want to get your guys' opinions, too. Uh, so I'm in Las Vegas for people who are watching the feed. I'm in a hotel. That's not my normal background. You're wondering why there's beds there. Um, I'm here for CinemaCon. There's a ton of footage dropping at all these different panels. For people who don't know what CinemaCon is, it's a convention that's geared towards the theatrical experience. Um, it's held by, I think it's sponsored by NATO, the North American theater owners. Um, and it's specifically geared towards, like, here's all the, the great films that will be coming to your theaters later. Here's what's going to get people excited about why they want to come back to your theaters. It's all about seeing movies in the theatrical experience and the communal experience of seeing these big theaters, uh, seeing these big movies in theaters. So every studio is, comes. Is there an element of screen competition? Like, when people go, are they sort of trying to hope that, hey, like, doesn't this look cool? You should give us a couple of well, more screens I'll, than maybe you give the other movie. I'll tell you what's really yeah. funny. Um, Sony's chairman, Tom Rothman, was teasing that Jumanji 2 is definitely going to come December of 2019. And in announcing that, he says, so don't give so many screens to Star Wars Episode Nine. Wow. Because See, we're so coming. There you go. That answers my question. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And clearly there with that information, uh, and we all know Jumanji 1 opened up against Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was more probably one of the most brilliant marketing decisions in the history of movie making, because why would you open a film that close to Star Wars The Last Jedi? And as we know, the movie almost made a billion dollars at the box office and was very well received. Um, that, to me, was just like counter-programming at its finest. Well, and Greatest Showman entered into that phrase, yeah. too. To me, Greatest Showman is a perfect example of yeah. counter-programming. Oh, no, see, I, I mean, counter- Showman <laughs> did very, very well, but Jumanji was legitimately... What What date did Greatest Showman open? It was around the same time as 20, Jedi. Right? 20, 20th, 1st, somewhere That around. movie did not have the success. I mean, it was very successful. Obviously, it had legs, but it didn't make a billion dollars like Jumanji did. Right. I mean, Jumanji made a $945 million. I think Greatest Showman did $400 million, which is still amazing. Um, but, I don't know, to me... That was amazing that they did. Is what Star Wars opens the uh, 2019 December? Which one episode is that? Nine. Is episode that's nine. nine. Oh yeah. my god, yeah. that's crazy! <laughs> what a that's big, crazy. what a big month that's going to be. And it's be, subtitled right? Star Wars Episode Nine. Here's all the characters left you don't care well, about. Well, but also, right, right. and let's talk about Jumanji two for a second. Like, even if they bring <laughs> it's <so> back, true. <laughs> even if they I don't care about back, Episode Nine. Even if Jumanji brings back um, all those characters again, I don't really know that we can guarantee that they're going to replicate that success. No, that was I. I'd argue that was lightning in a bottle. I mean, that was it a could be great. Was a little it? bit on nostalgia. But Jumanji, the movie wasn't great. It was just good. So I, I, it was one of those weird things where I, I don't know. How to explain it why played, it made a billion It played dollars. great for families. It, it was, right. yeah, it was an easy really watch. really good. My, for, my kids uh, For families that didn't want to go to a musical or for people that had already seen Star Wars and didn't like it enough to go a second or third time, it was an easy like, hey, you got you got four or five kids. No right. one's – here's the problem. Is it – no one's going to hate kids. Jake, much. what are you doing? I don't know. Maybe you're Mormon. <laughs> so, like, Ten kids, you're bringing them to Jumanji. Yeah. <laughs> so, but like seriously, like no one's going to walk away – absolutely adoring Jumanji. It's not going right. to be the greatest film anyone's ever seen, but no one's going to hate it. Did you hear this, Rock? Right, it was fun. Which, which is kind of what you want. Right. Yeah. Okay, listen, we got to get to some news. Um, I wanted to ask you guys about the Venom trailer. The news! Specifically the Venom trailer that dropped um, at yeah. the Sony panel. 
<laughs> All right. So we know how Jake feels about it. Is anybody getting excited about this project? Are they doing anything to win you over to the fact we finally did see Venom in his finished form briefly. Uh, the suit comes over Tom uh, Hardy. I almost said Tom Holland. Uh, and the giant tongue comes Ooh, out. Be, see, as it should be Tom Holland. Uh, right? Shouldn't it connect to Spider-Man somehow? Yes. Uh, I am. I'm still not on board with this yet, but uh, what about you guys? I, I had a hard time getting through the trailer, to be honest with you. Oof, me um, too. Kevin, didn't you tell me that like you had to finish the trailer because you had yeah. to finish, like like how bad yeah. is that that you stop a two minute trailer? <laughs> it's bad. That's really bad. Like that's that's not a <laughs> good not, sign. No, it's not. Why it just didn't interest you? Like whatever was happening, it looks kind of like there's someone tweeted in there that I hadn't seen before. Someone tweeted today yeah. and they said uh, Venom looks like uh, the best Marvel movie released in 1995. And I was like, yeah, I can kind yeah, of see that. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah. yeah. And honestly, like, yeah. I was looking forward to looking at it and, and, and going, see Spider-Man 3, that's how you do it. Yeah. And I looked at it and went, yeah, it kind of looks like Spider-Man 3. <laughs> yes, it did. See, I, hey, listen, so Spider-Man 2, Doc Ock, uh, uh, Ver, Doc Ock style, is my favorite Spider-Man of, the, of, the, of all the Spider-Man Dude, films. Alfred Molina um, is a genius. It's just an amazing film. and I mean, I, I'm a huge Sam Raimi guy, so I didn't hate 3 like everybody else did. I, I, I found 3 to be tolerable. I also found Topher Grace's Venom to be pretty awesome. It, just, it was just an overly complicated film. I'm going to have to disagree pretty, with you there, but I get what you're saying. I, but I actually saw some side-by-sides of... Uh, of, of Topher's uh, Venom versus Hardy's Venom, and I still prefer Topher's Venom only because I thought it looked cooler. Um, but I think the Venom movie is there's too much. First of all, there's so much going on, obviously, with the MCU and, and Spider Man and all and all the connections and things like that. Like the idea that it's not connected also kind of bothers me. But though that shouldn't factor into how we feel about a movie because that's just behind the scenes stuff that sure. we know about. Yeah. I mean, like a general person going to see Venom might not understand the interworkings of the MCU and how Feige has doesn't have this Venom in this universe. I don't know. But I just didn't find the trailer to be that great. I also th- found Hardy's voice to be like kind of irritating was it did you notice like a, a, a like he might have the most criticized voice in the history yeah. of hollywood this mm-hmm. poor guy and cannot i love tom win. hardy mm-hmm. but he but but he really i mean listen and listen i'm all for tom hardy dialogue and speaking he's great in inception um but i think i've gotten so used to his characters being so silent um specifically with you know with mad max uh i mean er- I think he's a great actor with his eyes and his face. I mean, you watch everything he does, even in, as Bane. I didn't love Rises, but he's great as Bane. Um, I don't know. I, I just didn't find the trailer to be intriguing. I didn't think that it did anything for me. I, and also the end shot, which is cool looking, it looks CGI beyond belief. Like, it's very CG. All right. um, like, almost like too CG. It looks like too computer graphics. And not to, like, um, get too much into this, because, you know, this isn't their fault to do with the rights, but, like, how do you have a Venom movie... Without that, that's like having having a Venom movie without Spider Man is like having a Joker movie and never referencing Batman. Well, and you like, might like, get that. What right? Isn't oh, Todd Phillips doing a Joker origin movie? Like this is where we're going. Oh. These villains are becoming their own entities, and they're separate. This is themselves. why we can't have nice things. But it's true. I know. I agree with you, hundred percent. I don't necessarily need to see no, it. I, no, I guess. I mean, what, what? I mean, what is the alternative? Suicide Squad. So, I mean, what do I know? Mother. Here's the thing. This movie could be great, and you know, we're this is all based on trailers and speculation and and, and things we've heard. I think Tom Hardy is a great actor. Uh, Warriors another great movie oh great Um, love it and so i mean we've seen him do great performances uh i just find i think we are so saturated right now with what's going on with 
Infinity War, Han Solo, Ant-Man and the Wasp, and like a lot of things are coming out in Jurassic uh, World. It's hard to think that far ahead into the year and be excited for Venom. Um, so I think once we get past the summer, when does Venom open? October? October. 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 All right. So I, th- I think like we'll, a week before Halloween. We'll feel a little different about it. The I movie think come August, September. All, I think. all right. Huge vote of confidence for um, Solo in that in a Hollywood Reporter story about um, Alden Einrich's preparation for it, it's been confirmed that he's been that he signed on for three Han Solo movies. Uh, vote of confidence for what he accomplished in the movie or overkill and just Disney trying to lock him up? I, so, I, don't, I don't really think it's either. Like, don't they just sort of do that just to kind of have them? I guess. Just in case? Yeah, I guess. But I didn't realize well, that they, they planned on doing that many. So I thought the Solo movie was a one-off. I didn't realize it was going to be an extension. Unless they're going to use the character in someone else's film, which is possible. Like, he could just show up as Solo in someone else's movie. Right. Like, if you have a Lando movie, he could show up. Could do that. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's a great question. I think the Lando movie is definitely a massive possibility because I think that everybody... I mean, I was, I was in Disneyland... Uh, earlier this week and I bought a Lando uh, Funko doll because I was like so excited (laughs) to see Lando uh, as as, as a Funko doll Donald Glover I was like this is so cool so I think that that's definitely a possibility I will say this when they when I heard the story about about uh, him having three a three picture deal it reminded me of the story that came out about Ryan Johnson before Jedi about him signing on to a three picture Star Wars uh, side deal right because so to me it was almost like people took that story initially as Jedi must be so amazing that Disney offered him three other films yeah, to do. Sure. So I don't know that. Yeah, I think I'm with Jake. I don't know if it's supposed to show you confidence in what happened in the story or what happened in uh, Han Solo. But I don't know. Listen, I, I think the tides have turned for Solo for a lot of people. I'm actually getting more and more excited about it now. Yeah, based you on are. The, the newer, more footage. Um, I also just kind of, I feel like it's kind of an underdog now. Uh, and I know it sounds strange, but a Star Wars movie is kind of an underdog. I, I think that it, it's gotten to a point where there was so much negativity surrounding it that now it's kind of surfacing as this, like, hey, we might be awesome kind of movie. Well, um, and I think that there's going to be, I think, I, I really think, I'm starting to feel this, that people are going to walk out of that movie and going, it's awesome. So and as, I think Jake's been saying that too. So. As part of the Disney panel, um, they showed the first full scene. Um, something you know that was hinted at in the trailers, but we actually got to see it play out, and it was um, Han playing Lan- uh, Lando for the meeting Lando, the, right? Well, yeah, and playing right. for uh, playing the game of Sabacc to to win the rights oh, yeah. to the Millennium Falcon. And so it, here's the positives. The positive is that Donald Glover is amazing as Lando Calrissian. Like from the minute he starts speaking, he's the character. Like Perfect. you just hear. Billy D. Williams, and he's not doing an impersonation. It's literally just a continuation of the character, but a younger version of him. I also don't feel um, that Alden Einerich is trying to do a Han, uh, Harrison Ford impersonation anymore. It's starting to feel like his character, right? Or maybe I'm just getting used to it and I'm getting over it. One thing that really bothered me about it, though, is that, and it's Brad uh, Bradford Young, who's a brilliant cinematographer, it looks dirty and 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 dark. And have you guys noticed, if you I look like at the that. promo images yeah, of it? Yeah, I like it. Yeah, I, I like that, too. I, like it. I, I want gritty. I disagree. And I, and it looks weird. I want gritty. Oh, no, no, no. It should be dark and gritty. I mean, first of all, you have to imagine, think about your mindset of 1977 Star Wars, right. and then you got to rewind... How many years prior to the original Star Wars is this? Ten. Like 30? Ten years. Oh, ten years it's, before? It's only ten? Yeah. Because yeah. Really? Han Solo was supposed to be 29 in A New Hope, and he's supposed to be 19 in Solo. See, now that bothers me because I don't... I guess... How old is Aaron Reich in, in this one? Mm-hmm. 19? 
You're supposed to. The character is supposed to be 19. Interesting. Do you, I didn't know that. Do, 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 is there really a 10-year jump in look there to, to Ford? That seems kind of strange to me. Not really. No. I mean, in, I mean, in actuality, it's another person jump to Ford. <laughs> no, I know, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking in my mind. <laughs> I thought this was a much younger Han Solo. I, I, how old, so I didn't know that Solo was 29. In, in That's the good Star because I, I was that. afraid that this movie was going to, like, in a Rogue One type way, that it was going to end very close to New Hope. And I'm glad to hear that that's... Well, the, to me, the fact that he got the three-picture deal says that it's not going to end like a New Hope. Right. No, like Rogue One. Well, there's no way. It, well, the movie's not a 10-year storyline, is no, it? No, I don't think so. It's not, I don't no, think so. it's not. No, I think I think it's probably. It seems like a like a like almost like a heist movie. Like they're just getting the team together, and it's gonna be. I don't know. Look, I don't know, I'm excited. I'm, I'm getting excited. I'm excited. Okay. Um, I also saw footage. Oh, confirmed. From... He is he is 29 in Episode Four. Oh. 29 in Episode Four. He's 32 in Episode Five. 33 wow. in Episode Six. What nerd website wow. did you go to immediately to find this out? <laughs> JakeHamilton.com. <laughs> <laughs> I saw footage from James Wan's Aquaman <clears throat> yes. at the Warner Bros. Yeah. panel. No, listen, Jake, hold on. I Wait. love James Wan. I love Wan, too. And so this is the second time that I've been in a presentation where Wan, so the first time was at San Diego Comic-Con, and he was on stage for the DC panel, and he was very hesitant to show anything. He's always like, I don't really want to show this. It's not finished. But, and you've heard filmmakers say this before, and, and it, it feels like false modesty a lot of times. But but when the, in the footage that he showed at CinemaCon here, I finally get it. Like he's trying to do something really, really epic with Atlantis and we got to finally see it. And it looks the, 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 the visual image to me that came to mind when I saw this underwater landscape of Atlantis was Coco's land of the dead. Like it was just, it was sprawling. It was colorful. It was massive. Um, And I understood now that Juan doesn't want your first uh, image of this, your first look at it to be, concept art you know or unfinished cgi uh so i can see while he's sort of hesitating on it because the movie doesn't come out till december but it looked so much better it just looked it looks epic it looks like big screen you know big scale uh i don't want to say game of thrones because it's just a default to momoa but i think that they're going in the right direction with it i kind of think I, that they're course correcting and putting dc on a on a good path <laughs> Listen, i, I, I think movie. my problem is i just don't care like i just don't care about that character anymore right. i think like suicide i mean suicide squad jesus justice uh, league, uh, justice league yeah. just sort of kind of ruined all the even like there for even that like, there's an element of like the only reason i even care about wonder woman is because we're going backwards yeah and, and we're getting we're getting 80s wonder woman i mean it, i just i can't help but just not and i'm sure I, I i agree with you i think james wan is a super underrated incredibly talented director and he's making a movie that I just like. It, it's the equivalent of to me, like James Cameron making Avatar two. Like I just, I'm sure it'll be fine. Yeah. I just don't care. Yeah, I think James, the way James James Wan moves his camera um, is incredible. I also think what he did with Furious Seven was just beyond. I mean, I love Furious Seven. I thought it was. I mean, as a Fast and Furious fan for since you know 2001, whatever it is, um, I, I I will watch anything he does. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm all in. Conjuring one and two were very solid horror films. Um, so I'm going to see it, but I'm with, I don't, I don't necessarily know that I want an Aquaman film. Um, but I'm going to see it obviously. Uh, so I'm sure there, there was a fake variety article that came out, uh, that, that you know, there's this like trend now where like a fake variety Twitter account will tweet fake stuff out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and they tweeted out a fake article that was a Rick roll link, but the article was, uh, Warner brothers rebooting all canceling all DCEU movies except for wonder woman and just rebooting the whole thing and before i realized i was being rickrolled 
right. I got excited because I thought it was the right move. Right. I thought good good on them. Like 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 cutting their losses and then I clicked on it and then I got, you know, never going to give you up. <laughs> never going, you know. But, and, but for a moment I thought, well done. You're making the right move. That, um, that shows you my my mentality with DC right now. Speaking of not making the right move, um or, or potentially not making the right move. Guy Ritchie is doing a live-action Aladdin film for for Disney, and they showed uh, Will Smith as the genie uh, in this behind-the-scenes footage. And I I knew that Will Smith was cast as the genie, but I think in my mind I thought he was going to voice what would eventually become a CGI character. Um, but it's not. It's live-action Will Smith. Like, it's just Will Smith with a shaved head. That worries me. And baggy pants. And, yeah, it, it concerned me a little bit, too. <laughs> After seeing it, because they came out right off the bat and they were like, look, he's not trying to do Robin Williams. We're not touching that performance. Uh, Which is similar to like if you've seen it, seen the musical on stage, that's what they do. Okay. Um, it's, it's obvi- I mean, obviously you can't have a CGI character on stage, but like it's a man right. sort of walking around. And I sort of felt that there was a little bit of the magic taken, taken away whenever you make it just a guy. That's how I felt and, too. And that's how I, I, I'm a little bit worried that that's what I'm going to, the same problems I had with it on stage is what I think are going to be the same problems I have with it on film. Right. I don't know. We'll see how it plays out. I like Guy Ritchie a lot. I trust what he, you know, what he tends to do. Yeah. So I liked man from uncle. While I love Guy Ritchie. Uncle. Oh my God. Love man from uncle. Somebody brought up, they were like, what if we told you that there's a, uh, a Guy Ritchie spy movie that stars Henry Cavill, Army Hammer and Alicia Vikander. <laughs> And you could watch it right now if you wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> as many times as you want. Yeah, it's an awesome and, movie. And it'll be like it's made just for you because no one else has seen it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, two other ones I saw really fast before we get to Avengers Infinity War. Um, Glass, the extension of Unbreakable. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is M. Night Shyamalan who is uh, back bringing this movie produced by Bloomhouse. Uh, extension of Unbreakable uh, at the end of Split when they t- they pan the diner and it lands on Bruce Willis's character and you realize it's part of this shared universe that he's building. Um, so we got to see the footage. It's this weird, it starts in a psychiatric ward where there's a psychiatrist um, played by Sarah Paulson who's specializing in uh, candidates who believe that they have uh, delusions of grandeur superpowers. And her three patients are... Uh, David Dunn, Bruce Willis's character, Elijah Price, Samuel Jackson's character, and uh, Kevin from Split, uh, played by James McAvoy. And then it's about how mm. the three of them interact and, and their different belief systems of whether they actually have powers or not. But it it escalates into this huge confrontation between... So the whole movie, they're in an insane asylum? I, not for the whole movie, but for a big chunk of it. Uh, That's for sure. awesome. Yeah, for a big chunk of it. Yeah, I, I love that. I lo- yeah, I like Split a lot. I, I Unbreakable, I revisited it, uh, and I... <laughs> I still can't get over how well that movie was shot. If you look at the opening sequence in the train when the camera's going back and forth between the seat, uh, I, I'm excited. I'm very excited. Split, yeah. I thought, was good. I didn't love it like everybody else did. I also thought Split, um, the ending of Split, heavily relied on a very recent viewing of Unbreakable. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I hadn't seen Unbreakable in over a decade by that point. So it, you think I mean, half the people in my theater went, it didn't wait, why is Bruce like, Willis? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, do right. you think people got to that reveal and they just were like, why is that important? Yeah. I, I oh, think uh, yeah. explaining the timeline of that movie is going to be like th- that in 2019 is going to be the equivalent today of trying to explain infinity stones where like, you've almost yeah. got to sit down with people and go, you need to listen to this because it's really <laughs> yeah. important for right. you to understand yeah. moving forward. Like I need you to sit down so I can explain how this works. Right. Right. Yeah. The, the split reveal was, uh, it was a great idea. But for people like me who hadn't seen Unbreakable in over a decade, I knew what I was looking at because I knew I know I'm not Shyamalan's films. But that was a very 
uh, big risk. Obviously, the movie paid off and did very well, and I'm very excited that he's doing Glass because I think M. Night Shyamalan is a great director who's gotten a bad rap uh, over the years because of, you know, because of becoming the guy who had the twist endings. But I love The Village. I love Lady in the Water. Um, but, you know, well, that being said, I'm excited. And this, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing this it. This footage looked great. Looked like a great extension of that world, and I'm really excited to see. It was just great to see those actors back in those roles, and I can't wait to see. And McAvoy, I think, is a great you know addition to this. So Jake brought up Infinity Stones. I don't want to wait any longer. Let us discuss the movie that the three of us saw earlier this week. Um, Kevin at the actual premiere in Los Angeles, and Jake and I um, in our various markets. Avengers Infinity War. Uh, which I'm going to say, and I don't, that this this is not spoilery, this is just my opinion right off the bat, is the best movie made by Marvel Studios to date. I don't think it, I don't think anything tops it. Um, and I don't know, for various reasons. Like, it's just the amount of stuff that it accomplishes, the things that it even tries to accomplish, uh, and then actually pulls off. I'm still, the next day, I saw it yesterday, I'm still unraveling, um, all of my feelings to it because it, it swings for huge, huge fences and, uh, and and to me, crosses almost every uh, every line that I needed to cross. Yeah, I mean we're almost touching three hours uh, with that movie. Two what two what is it two forty? Uh, and so. it's the fastest I think that uh, in a long time that that amount of time has flown by in a theater. It's it's weird to say that it's a movie that's two hours and forty minutes and that there's not an ounce of fat on it. Uh, my fiance was like you know joking earlier. Uh, oh, you'll be able to tell me when to go to the bathroom. And I honestly I said. There is no time to go. There is no time to go to the bathroom because yeah. you're going to miss something important. Something magical is going to happen. Uh, it, there's no there's no way this movie worked without 10 years and 18 other movies building up to it. Totally. I mean, they they everything that 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 we get is earned. It's it's paid off, at, you know, through a decade of work through countless people. And and uh, and it's really cool that like. I almost want to like pat ourselves as like a fan base on the back. Like, Hey, we stuck with them. Like we, you know, through, you know, through great, a couple of great movies, through a lot of good movies and through a few mediocre movies. Like we, we don't talk we about Ant-Man this. like that. Come on. Now. Hey, Hey, <laughs> it's, awesome. it's, it's no Die Hard three. I'll tell you that. <laughs> little tease. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. Not yet. It's, it's, it's an astounding, an astounding achievement. Uh, or, or let me, let me correct myself. It's an astounding half of an achievement because it is half a movie. I don't care what Marvel says. Okay. It's part one of two. That's fair. That's fair. I, I think what the Russos did here is just, it seems almost impossible uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, first of all, juggling that many storylines and that many characters and being able to actually pull it off with effort. It seems effortlessly. Uh, it seems effortless when you're watching the movie. Every single thing works. And as Jake said, no, not a single ounce of fat. Also, one of my biggest problems with movies these days is how they try to, a lot, a lot of movies, try to dumb things down for the audience uh, with exposition or over-explanatory shots and dialogue. Um, this movie goes the opposite route, and it actually was a beautiful thing to watch. Like, So when we see some of these sequences, none of these, a lot of these characters have not met before. So when things are explained in the movie about what's going on story-wise... It makes sense why characters would be telling other characters that information because they don't know. Right. Uh, so to me, it worked in the story, That's and it also helped. It also helped as a viewer uh, to remember certain things. I've seen all eighteen films, but to me, it was the most perfect use of exposition ever to explain story points in a movie because it had to be explained because 
Doctor Strange might not have known what was going on, or the Guardians didn't know who the you know the Avengers were. So I, I think it's interesting that that worked so well. Also, um, the action is so clean. I, I'm still processing the film, and I'm still trying to find out where it ranks in my MCU world. Um, for me, Winter Soldier and Civil War, my two favorite MCU movies leading into Infinity War, this is easily top five. Uh, I need to find out. I need to see it again to process it. Um, though I will say there was a moment as I sat in that theater the other night that I, I couldn't believe what was entering my eyes. Yeah, that's it. And, 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 yeah. and it, it, it's kind of a shocking thing to... To, to experience because we work so hard in this business as reporters to talk about movies uh, and to see something this exciting come along that legitimately shocks you and legitimately plays with your expectations. And Jake and I were discussing this on text um, and then I'll get off my soapbox and let you all talk. But one of the things about Jedi that I think we had a big, that I had a big problem with, I think Jake did too, was that the movie played with your expectations knowingly. Uh, I thought that Jedi was all, I thought Jedi was literally saying, you think this is going to happen, so we're going to go ahead and divert it to this. I don't think that Ryan Johnson intentionally did that, but it felt pretentious to me as an audience member. Um, what happens in Infinity War um, is earned, as Jake said, but it's also, it's, it's, it's a perfect way to tell a story. They, the movie doesn't know it's a movie. To me, Jedi felt like it knew it was a movie. This does not know it's a movie. This is a story that we're just we're just gauging and watching what's happening. And whatever happens, it never feels like they're saying, oh, you thought this was going to happen? We're going to go this route. It felt right, uh, what they did. So every frame of this movie is important. Um, and it's definitely worth seeing. It's, it's an, an incredible achievement. And I still think it's one movie. I, I don't disagree with the half well, thing, but I'll, I'll get to that in a little I bit. I want to build on what you just said, which is that I think it's become easier over time to just... Um, except that what Marvel is accomplishing um, is, oh, well, that's what Marvel does, right? But what they've accomplished in this movie is actually impossible. It's impossible that we got yeah, to a point sense. where yeah. there is a story that exists and all of these characters have been introduced to the point where they fit into the, the story naturally. Nothing is forced. We visit yeah. all of these places that have been shown in the trailers um, and it makes sense. and it all makes it all lays out perfectly, and I a lot of that is the Russos, and a lot of that is Kevin Feige, and a lot of that every decision they yeah. made along the way to the point that too I would argue that Infinity War is one of the funniest movies I've seen in a really long time, and every joke so is good. rooted in character. It's all it's not punchline, punchline, punchline. No, it's it's things you're laughing at because you are so infinitely familiar with with Thor, with the Guardians, with Spider Man, with Iron Man. Like it's and it's just it's a history that you bring to this movie. And it works. This is a very dark film, and, and that's why it's interesting because to me, tone is tone is the key to what the Russos did here. Yeah. Um, ultimately, this is a very dark movie. It's very dark. It's it's shocking. It's it's emotional. It's hard to watch at times in a good way. Yeah. But they somehow infuse comedy at these moments that it, it but it but it's perfect. And like to me, tone and storytelling and pace and structure are the hardest things a director has to deal with. And to build an exposition, to make jokes that work, to make things flow, to make things understandable to an audience member, I genuinely think that a person could sit in a theater and watch this having not seen the 18 films. And now listen, here's the thing. it'll The experience will be ultimately better have you seen the 18 movies and are invested in these characters, clearly. But that movie still works. All I mean, you know who these people are. 
and you're also seeing meetings that are happening for the first time. So that all makes sense. It works. It works. It's awesome. You know, I, on, the, on our morning show this morning, I went and pulled uh, a clip of the very first after scene credit or after credit scene from the first Iron Man. And it was just really this really humbling reminder of how far we've come in 10 years. Remember, 10 years ago, this, uh, this May, in a couple of weeks, uh, will be the 10th anniversary of Iron Man. And it was just this scene where Tony Stark walks into a room and Sam Jackson, who we didn't know was in the movie, says, I want to talk to you about the Avengers Initiative. Take that and flash forward 10 years and look at what we have now. It went from uh, an Iron Man movie... And I mean, it used to get to the point where, like, when we saw the Hulk, we would get excited if there was, like, a truck that said Stark on it. And we'd be like, oh, my God, it says Stark. And now we have this movie <laughs> where, 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 where Iron Man is hanging out with Doctor Strange and Spider-Man. I mean, like, it, it is crazy. really and, – and I think Sean said this in, in a previous podcast. And I had never, I'd never really thought about it until this point, but I, I fully agree with him. It's the most impressive accomplishment in the history of movies. Yeah, it is because I, I can't I, think I, of I really, anything – Like, I can't think of what's close to it. I can't think of no. – any other studio that is, and it's and it's not that because it's not like Disney or Warner tried to do it. It's Marvel Studios did it themselves, and they yeah. just figured out a partner to help them distribute it. And yeah. and these guys, they have such a passion for the actual characters that. Oh yeah. And what it proves is that when you get to someone like Black Panther, who with with you know with all due respect is a B level C plus level character in the world of Marvel Cinematic Universe. He's not Cap. He's not Iron Man. Yeah. Um, but they but dude, even Iron Man wasn't Iron Man when Iron Man came out. True. Like Iron Man was no Batman or Superman. No one knew who yeah. Iron Man was. Yeah, Iron Man. Yeah, that movie was that movie was a risk. Yeah. It was such a risk. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I remember like Favreau and all, I and mean, you see like interviews there, like no one knew. And also, I want to say one thing about the Russos. Um, and to their credit, I had interviewed them at the junket, and looking back on it now, I, I kind of wish I didn't it's kind of a dumb question, but I was just basically like, you know, how do you top the airport scene in Civil War? Um and their answer now that I've seen the film is so profound because Civil War, that scene is at the airport is so incredibly impressive, but Infinity War uh, just outdoes that scene as a whole movie. Um, and I remember in the interview, their answer was, "We approach every action scene as story and character." Yeah. So when you when you look at the vignettes that happen within the airport scene, it's all character based. Everything that's happening is story based. Every jump to each cut, each action shot is all story based. Um, and that was so profound to me to think that these guys, who you know have a lot to live up to with Civil War and Winter Soldier, um, took this movie with an ease of we're going to focus on character and then we'll let the action speak for itself. So, you know, any filmmaker could have been like, man, we got to top that that war, that airport scene. We got to do this. We have to do this. And I feel like that wasn't on their mind. I feel like their mindset was story. Yeah. And that's why Infinity War works because the action is so clean and great, but it doesn't overpower the movie. And I think and, that's... You know, a, a bad action sequence uh, leaves you with the characters in the same exact spot that they were uh, when the action began. And all the action sequences right. in Infinity War, our characters are inherently yeah. in a different place. Even if it's a five-minute action sequence, the characters, right. from A to B, they like it, in, they're, they use action to progress, like you said, to progress them, sometimes literally to progress them down a literally. street or to progress yeah. them to a different place. Yep. It's not 
just it's, okay like the movie's getting boring right. so better like blow some crap up like it's yeah. it's like hey we need them to get from over here to over here so why not do that in an exciting way yeah any filmmaker will tell you the most important thing of, of movie making is storytelling and like these and, and there's something inherent about the weight of these characters what they mean uh i'm a huge dr strange fan from the movie that derrickson did so i was so happy with the way they handled that character here i know he was as well derrickson tweeted about that um but i know we're gonna dive into thanos and i think um yeah i mean this is a villain to me as you're watching this movie and uh it is one of those things where like you rarely have this because you you say to yourself sometimes when you watch a movie i think i saw someone saying this but like when you watch an action scene i think jake you said this in your review there are consequences and like it's there's this legitimate thought that went through my mind as i sat in that theater like how are these how, how how can they defeat this guy how how is that possible yep. like this guy is so powerful even when he gets one or two or three stones whatever because the whole purpose of the movie is trying to find all six stones but the like it's scary like i actually was scared in my seat and when is the last time you've been scared when's yeah. the last time you've right. been scared by a villain like that how are these guys like i mean we're talking about people that are beyond powerful like like thor uh, you know, Hulk, um, everyone, like, Thor's a god. You know, like, like, in your mind, they build up these characters so much in these 18 movies that they're these all-powerful beings. Right. And then once Thanos shows up, it's like, they're ants. Yeah. Literally yeah. ants. Like, like, they're, like, they're, it, I mean, that we've all seen the trailer where Evans is hanging on to uh, the gauntlet. Yeah. And it's like, that, that to me, was just, like, a, a great visual of, like, these guys are nothing right. compared to yeah. the power of this guy. Right. So it is a legitimate feeling of like, oh my God. Okay, well, freakish. let's table this for now because next week we want to do this this deep dive you know, conversation where we can actually open up. Can we up. give our ratings? Wait, I want to talk about the ending. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, sure. Let's give our ratings for sure. Guys, let me say one thing. And Jake says something about Infinity War Part 1, Part 2 and how this is half a film. I don't know. To me, as I watch this movie, uh, I, I do understand that it leaves you wanting more for a next part. Uh, but to me, Infinity War is what happens in this movie. It's the Infinity War. So it's this. It's the. It, so to me, this is I mean, a that's movie. Fair. That's fair. It it, it, it is the oh. war that occurs over the stone. And let's let me ask. And, let me ask this one question. There's no. Do you guys feel that the ending is unsatisfying? No. no. Okay. Then, perfect, then that's that's why I think it's and, fair. And I, and I didn't mean part one, part Great two, ending. as in like, oh, I was left feeling unsatisfied. Right, I mean, right, like, right. don't forget, they were originally called Avengers three and four were originally called Infinity War Part One, Infinity War Part Two. Yes. Right. And they've been doing their best to try to get away from that. But to me, like, sort of get. And granted, we don't know what Avengers four is going to be about. But like to me, Avengers four is going to be a continuation of the of war. Yeah. But I mean, so was every other Marvel film. So Avengers no, see, I, I, to me, I'd argue the the other like Avengers films like are are very like inclusive. They're very self contained. Well, is- well clear, clearly, there's more story here, and there's more things that need to happen, and there's more things that are going to happen. But my opinion is that this was the Infinity War, and yeah, I see whatever that. occurs in the movie is what happened because of the war. Now we go to the aftermath. Okay, well, and then thing, you know what I mean. So that 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 to me is what that why that's so finite and so ending you know what I mean? ricardo hayes is uh watching us on facebook and asks now that we know that it's good because <laughs> at first we were yeah. like it's not how good, is this gonna be right 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 but i mean yeah. like <laughs> what are the chances what do we think it's going to open to opening weekend does it have a shot 
to beat the 247 that is the opening weekend for Force Awakens. I, I, I don't think you ever count out an Avengers movie, but I don't think it. T- I mean, for, Force Awakens is is forever going to be tough because that that was a that was a, a cultural right. movement. Yeah, that was that was that was a phenomenon where the world stopped and went. Star Wars is back, right? And I'm not taking away from the fact that Infinity War is a massive monumental accomplishment in the history of cinema, but we also got a Marvel movie like three months ago, and we got an Avengers movie like. Three years ago, it's there's this one's we're not, we're special not though, Jake. About, Do you, you don't think this one's oh, special? Oh no, no, oh it absolutely is. But like, but is there there is something about Han Solo being back, Princess Leia being back, yeah, and Luke being for back. the first time in in years. I get. Whoa, whoa, wait. Are we getting dog? Are we getting dogs? Are we getting our dog no, podcast? I, I can get my dog too. <laughs> I don't mean to derail the show, but for people who are watching, um, I've been gone for a week, so my my wife just got home, and I haven't seen my dog, so he was like whining down by my chair that I needed to touch him and pick him up. So I was just kind of giving him his attention. So I apologize. His name is Oscar. I know. Hi, I Oscar. Too. All right, last one. Uh, Brad Creason, Creason, Creason. I'm not sure if I'm, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that. Wants to know, Hi, Brad. if there are any new villains besides Thanos included in infinity war and i don't know if we can answer that right i don't don't, don't I, answer I'm not that answering it i will i mean look, there's been news stories of actors and actresses who have been confirmed as villains in this film correct but i don't i, I don't think we should answer that at all i agree but I, I'll, I'll say i'll say one thing um before we move on i know we have the diehard thing in tarantino yes um i, I want to give our ratings but also um just don't be, don't spoil anything for anybody. I, I, I've had people texting me asking me does so and so die or whatever, and I'm like, I'm not. I actually I respond back with Thanos demands your silence Good. hashtag. Good that's man. all I ever say. Cause I, I just feel like like even though I've seen the movie, I feel like I have a responsibility as a film goer and also as a critic to not ruin that experience. I know people want to know, and I get I get that. See, like, I don't. I will never get that. I will never. No, 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 no. What I, what I what I mean is, I I understand the want to know things that you that that are surprising. But as a movie goer, like I'm telling you, this is a perfect film to watch in a theater. I am going to buy tickets. Yes. Just to walk in and watch the last thirty minutes with an audience. I want people. I I literally people were shaking at the premiere, yeah. and I I watched it with the entire cast. Nobody had seen the movie, and it was electrifying. Yeah. Um, and to a point of like, I mean, Kevin Hart was sitting in front of me. He was asking Angela Bassett for autographs. Lawrence Fishburne was sitting in front of me. Sam Jackson was to the left of me. Whole cast was down in front of me. It was like, it was a very... Did everyone stay seated through the credits? No one got up. The only people that got up were security guards to get you out. And, and for people asking about end credit scenes, I'm not going to, I'm not revealing how many there are. I don't know if you guys have or will, um, but just sit through the credits. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it, 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 you, I mean, you a, always know to sit through the end credits. Like that's, yeah, that's all I, you need to know. It's no I, different I, yeah, from any other Marvel movie. I won't confirm or deny, but when the movie ended, I, my mindset was, I don't think we need an ending credit scene. Right. So the question will be, is there one? So when, when you see the movie, you'll, you'll, you'll see. Okay. Give your rating. Jake, give your rating. How many stars out of five? Five out of five. Kevin, five, no question. It, it, uh, this year, Ready Player One is my number one. Avengers: Infinity War is my number two. Um, and it is uh, when we get into spoiler talk. I had some very minor issues, but they weren't enough to lower my rating. Um, but I, we'll talk about that when we get to spoilers yeah, uh, later on. But I, I will say, I, I actually probably think because I'm sort of curious as to what it is, and I'm looking forward. And we'll talk after we're live. Um, but I, but I agree. I also have like a little twinge of an issue. That uh, I look forward to talking to. I'll say one more thing, and I won't reveal what it is, but 
this film has the best moment of a major Avenger character ever. Wow. Uh, oh, I know which one uh, that is. It, 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 it is the moment that this character was meant to have since the beginning of the MCU. Um, it is... I mean, I think Wong, un- Wong is an important character, but would you go that far to say? <laughs> no, but I, I, I'm not going to say what it is, but there, I, I, I'm surprised you guys don't... I think I know on. what it is. Well, truly, there, I can think of five that fit what you but just said. Every character I, I'm going to text you. Text me. We're, we're live, so we can do this, and this is fun. Oh, all right. I'll shake my head, yes or no. Okay, I'm going to text both just, of you guys. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. But, but and, I will... producer Gabe as well. My rating... But I will say this. Yes, go ahead. Every character in this film has a moment. Every single one of them. Nobody outshines anybody. No, it's uh, true. Except for Thanos, yeah. who's awesome. Right. Than- Thanos but, like, steals. Performance capture on Josh Brolin. Every emotion yeah. on that face. Amazing. All right, Jake, did you text me? Yes, I did. That, I that's mine. Every- yes, that is it. All right, here we go. That's mine also. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Ah, I knew it. it. I knew it. Okay. That is yeah. it. Best okay. moment of that character ever. Gabe is shaking ever. his head. Gabe says no. Gabe, Gabe's, oh, Gabe says move along. Okay, we right, also on. do a very popular segment. Oh, so Monday, we're gonna do a, we're gonna do our deep dive spoiler talk of Avengers Monday. So all of you real blend listeners and fans who are out there, go see it this weekend. Come back Monday. We're gonna talk in depth about all the things that we love about this movie and where we think they're going to go for Avengers Part Four. We do a segment um, every once in a while called Unpopular Opinion. It is a <laughs> topic that is brought up in our text chain that is so. Uh, devastatingly uh shockingly wrong to the other guys uh in the chain that we have to bring this it to the show this is gonna be so fun i'm so excited say, but, but see but now we have to we have to sort of kind of limit it a little bit because we also have to talk about tarantino so but uh, but kevin um has said i got nowhere to be repeatedly that um he likes die hard with the now so there's a debate about um in, in general in general uh the best die hard sequel I'm, I'm always open to that debate because i'm a huge fan of two i think that two by the definition of what a diehard movie is, um, fits better than when they got to three and beyond, which took the formula of a diehard movie and and took it in different directions of where I didn't necessarily agree with. But um, but now Kevin came forward and said that he thinks Die Hard with a Vengeance is better than the original Die Hard, and that's where we have to fight to the death. So I'm going to let Kevin go first and just explain why he believes that. And I think that part of it is because you saw that one before you saw the original. Yeah, and that, and that is the case. So I, I have to give full disclosures. Die Hard 3 was the first Die Hard I saw, but I was also 11 years old when Die Hard 3 opened up. Right. So I wasn't even able to watch Die Hard 1 first. <laughs> um, so to have the experience of a Die Hard 1 in my system prior to Die Hard 3, uh, that might have been a different thing for me. Um, now, going back, and watching Die Hard 1. Obviously, I love Die Hard 1. I think it's an incredible masterpiece of an action film. Very, very condensed and focused in one environment, and that's why Die Hard 1 works so well. Um, Die Hard 3 to me is a better film because I, I, I think it's a more entertaining movie just in general. Okay. Um, I think it hits every intensive note of what Die Hard 1 does and the idea of just the sheer terror of what this person's doing. To me, Simon is a much better villain. Uh, I, I listen, I think, I, I think Hans Gruber's amazing, but I, I thought the, the devastation that Simon, the things that Simon had Bruce and Sam do in the movie was incredibly intense, so well done. Um, I, but I find Die Hard Three just to be just to capture. I don't know. McLean to me in that film just put through the ringer as he was in one. So it's it's hard to say why I love three more than one, but except for the fact that I would rather watch three than one. Um, but I understand that Die Hard One's your favorite movie of all time. Of all time. Uh, and and I, and I get that. 
Um, but I think a lot of it has to do with when I saw Die Hard three, and then and then reverting back to one. Uh, and I love one. I just think three is a is a better film. I think it's a better villain. I think the 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 action scenes are better. I think that the whole Central Park chase, the opening the opening moment with um, Bruce Willis in Harlem, and that scene is insane. Like you you feel the pressure of it all, and then the kids in the school, and the, and I don't know, I, I just found that movie to be so much fun, I rewatched it the other day, and just action and comedy blending so well together, but I'm also a Bad Boys 2 guy over Bad Boys 1, I'm a Terminator 2 guy over Terminator 1, I'm a Godfather 2 guy over Godfather 1, um, Wrath of Khan over Star Trek 1, you know, so I, I, I have a history of liking Most of those are fairly common beliefs, like you're, you know, it's, it's, you're, you know, Wrath of Khan is known to be better than Star Trek 1. A lot of people like Godfather 2 more than they like Godfather 1. Empire over New Yeah, the, those Terminator will 2. never feature in an unpopular opinion segment. What you're <laughs> arguing now? Actually, people think Terminator 1 is better than Terminator 2. I've met people that think that. Yeah, but, it, but it's not <laughs> such an unpopular belief that it, that it would earn, an, uh, earn a spot in this. Someone believing Terminator 3 is the best Terminator <laughs> would earn a spot in this segment. So let me... Right, but I, want Sean, I want Sean to speak because, I, and again, I respect Sean so much. I love the guy. I just don't feel the love of Die Hard 1 that he does. Well, so it's a bit of a more passionate thing for you, I think. But well, here's what it is. I've thought a lot about this um, because to me, John McClane is a, a character who might as well be my father. Like I've spent so much time with him uh, and have modeled my belief system after who he is as a person. And let me tell you why, uh, because I believe the order in which you watched them colors your opinion. Um, sure. Who John McClane is in the first two Die Hard movies is a guy who's in the wrong place at the wrong time um, and, and isn't supposed to be there and, and has to do the right thing because that's who he is, right? It's every ounce of his fiber. Um, he, again, doesn't want to be in Nakatomi Plaza, doesn't want to be at the airport. He happens to be there for different reasons, but when stuff starts hitting the fan, he has to get involved. It's the same thing in Die Hard Three, though. No, he doesn't want to be there. Nope. That, but this is exactly oh. this is why this is why I, oh, I wow. disagreed with with a vengeance from the beginning. They present McLean as this hungover guy who's being pulled into this charade by Simon against his will. Never but it makes perfect sense. Never is McLean the guy who is standing up and doing the right thing in that movie because he believes it's the right thing to do. He is begrudgingly going through every step of that journey and with a vengeance, never wants to be doing it, ever. And and I think that that's a huge flaw of that. Like He always sees it as it's more of he doesn't want to lose against this person, but he's not doing it for the right reasons. He's never doing it for the right reasons. In but if you were told to walk through the streets of Harlem wearing that sign, right. uh, could Which you... Which sign? I'm not saying the <laughs> sign. Uh, I, I know what Jake's doing there. Uh, uh, what's funny is Sam Jackson's actually in that scene, and then Jake's whole history. Um, it's but, a whole thing for people that don't know. Thing. It's a good it's a thing, thing. It's a, good it's thing. a joke that's funny to like four people on this planet, and Sam like, Jackson's one of them. What you're describing, like nobody wants to be in that in that moment and nobody is going to find a mindset of positivity to do the right thing sure. meaning that when you're wearing that sign in the middle of Harlem that's a death sentence i mean like there there is nothing to get you out of that moment totally um so to me i think that that was a defining moment he clearly was hungover as you mentioned didn't want to be dragged into this um simon to me simon is such an interesting villain because he did things that he knew John McClane would have to do right. in order to... So I think it's... 
the storyline that I think you have a problem with more than well, what John does in the Very movie. possible. He, everything he does makes sense. But I also think, and the scheme um, isn't nearly as tight as it is in the first two movies. The scheme, you like it all in the building. I, that, you like well, that. Well, I, I do thing, prefer right? it to be all contained, and, and with a vengeance doesn't have that intensity of you know, being limited into your space by the time. Sure. And, and I even think like with Avengers, I go along with the premise for the longest time, but by the time that they are like Sam Jackson has to go to Yankee stadium and find those, <laughs> the, the sign underneath the tickets. And the scene that I mentioned in last week's podcast that aggravates me to no end him surfing on the dump truck, which is one of the stupidest sequences uh, yeah. I've ever seen in my life. And not only does he happen to get shot out of the tunnel by the pressure <laughs> of the water and land in the thing right where Sam Jackson happens to be driving past Kevin, You've been uh, in New York City enough to know that you, that would never ever happen. So I mean, it's just like it becomes it becomes implausible after a while. That you can't. But to me, like that, I that's fault like the being, movie for that. That's poor screenwriting. Uh, I mean, let's. Here's the thing. I, and as I watched Iron Man the other day, it, it's a little long for sure. Mm. Um, but I don't know. To me, it, it to me it's the best Die Hard specifically because of the interaction with Sam Jackson and John McClane. I also thought that everything Simon had them do was just edge of your seat intense. Right. Uh, and uh, to me, it just, it's a thrill ride. It hits every note, but I, I get, but I get your love of Die Hard one. And I actually, I don't, disagree with your points i mean i i actually understand where you're coming well from. and also but the um, big thing about john mcclain is he's a lone wolf he's a guy who's supposed to do everything by himself because he's the only one who believes he can do it so when you partner him with it with someone that to me is like lethal weapon with joe pesci and chris rock like hey he these guys aren't good though. enough okay, let's okay, bring okay, in okay, some supporting okay, guys okay okay, okay. right a diehard like, but first off that the script for with a vengeance is was supposed to be something called Simon Says. It was never supposed to be a Die Hard movie. Then it was refashioned to be a Lethal Weapon sequel. So that made sense mm. to have a, two, two people, two partners. And I just think when they took that third step to fashion it into a theoretical Die Hard movie, that's when the franchise, to me, lost focus of what a Die Hard movie is. But that's my personal definition of it. I'll revisit Die Hard 1. And again, I it's an interesting debate. I get most people think Die Hard 1 is better. Even Sam Jackson told me Die Hard 1 is better than Die Hard 3. So I asked him. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I, I showed Smart him my guy. Die Hard ticket 3 for 3. And he go, I said, which one's better in your opinion? My buddy's going to have a debate all the time. And he goes, Die Hard 1 is better than 3. I'm like, okay. I mean, the guy's in Die Hard 3. <laughs> He's in 3. Um, and, I, and I disagree with him. Yeah. But I mean, it's an interesting debate. And I, I feel like my argument isn't as strong as it should be. Because I, I, I think I need to sit down and rewatch one. And then I'll... And then we'll discuss it again. But yeah, as I sit here right now, I'm a Die Hard 3. But also, and we can never change the order that you saw them. And I think that that really does shape your opinion. And it's... Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's fine. But I saw... It's weird. How do you get away from that? It's interesting. Like, like I saw saw T2 before I saw T1. Now, T2 is an infinitely better film. But would my experience have been different? I mean, I was born in 84, so I didn't see Terminator 1 until later. I'll give you so, this as an example. My kids would probably tell you that Jurassic World is better than Jurassic Park. That's, see, that's, that's wild. <laughs> you You're think, raising them wrong, uh, no, but you And you think that that's crazy. <laughs> that's wild, though. And yeah. they like Jurassic Park a lot. They just yeah. think world is better. They just they, they would they would make that argument. So, um, wow. use okay. our real blend Twitter to weigh in on this unpopular opinions debate. Please let us know uh, who you agree with, and uh, we'll take a unofficial poll on the Twitter feed. And actually follow us on on real blend too. I well, I don't do enough to plug the Twitter feed. I should actually tell more people that we have a real blend Twitter feed that we try to stay pretty active and share clips on on things like that. Um. A second game. We have a two games in one show. I'm really happy about this. Uh, we do, traditionally, if you guys listen to us on a regular basis, we do a hashtag someone we love 
blend, and I have a really good one for next week too. I think I'm really excited about this. I don't even, I don't even think I told producer Gabe what this one's going to be. Um, <laughs> so last week we chose uh, hashtag Tarantino blend, and then this was really great because yesterday uh, during the Sony panel, or two days ago, it's Vegas, I'm lost track of time, uh, Tarantino came out on stage uh, with Leonardo DiCaprio and teased his next movie, which he's doing for summer of 2019, which is called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's going to be set in L.A. in 1969 uh, during the Sharon Tate, uh, Charles Manson period, and he's going to be shutting down blocks of Los Angeles to recreate uh, L.A. In, in the 60s. He talked about how he awesome. hasn't necessarily done a true L.A. movie uh, since Pulp Fiction. He says Jackie Brown was shot there, but it's not necessarily his story, and so he's, he feels like this is going to be a natural extension of Pulp Fiction, of just telling an L.A. story, and he was super excited about that, being an L.A. native. Um, so we did Tarantino Blend, and uh, I'm super excited to talk about who, what we think is the best Quentin Tarantino film. And according to producer Gabe, I have to go first. Wait, do we know if we... Should we know? If we... Well, we uh, should. Have we have. We ones? should know. Gabe, give us an idea. Do we all have the same pick? He's typing. We oh, all, wow. all of us have all the same pick? All three of us? All three? Well, okay, maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe sometimes in the future we shouldn't know. <laughs> yeah. Wait, can I get? Can I? Can I guess Sean's? Well, if we all, yes, you can. Go ahead, I'm Kevin. Joking. Guess yeah. it. No, uh, Sean. Let me think. <laughs> <laughs> no, go ahead, Sean. All right. Go so ahead, so I guess go. all three of us chose Pulp Fiction, and to me, yeah. it, was, it wasn't even hard. Like this wasn't. Yeah, hard. it was. It was easy. It was like, as soon as you said Tarantino blend last week, in my head I went, "Well, it's Pulp Fiction." Okay. So all right. So we can talk about how great Pulp Fiction is and what a masterpiece it is. How about we also do this? Is there one that was close for you guys? Is there one that if oh, we, yeah. if if Pulp Fiction was out of the game, what would you choose? Reservoir Dogs was my was my first choice. Okay. When you initially said Tarantino blend, because I do think Reservoir Dogs, it's funny. I go back and forth, and, I, and I'm a, I'm a long, uh, a huge Quentin Tarantino fan, as I, I know a lot of people are. Uh, my my obsession with his films probably got a little weird because I, was, <laughs> I I took I took Japanese for two years because of Kill Bill. I I bought the Japanese Blu-ray or DVD of Kill Bill so I could watch the House of Blue Leaves scene in full color because the MPA made him turn it black and white uh, during uh, a volume one. I mean it, it's it's crazy. I went out and bought every single Reservoir Dogs color. Um, I had the blonde DVD, the brown DVD, which was the signature Quentin Tarantino, like limited edition. Um, it's a, it was a bit of an issue. How I many copies of Reservoir Dogs did you buy? I, I think I owned at one point like six or seven copies of Reservoir Dogs. I remember getting for I remember different getting, cases. Yeah. So Pulp Fiction, when Pulp Fiction came out, um, DVD, VHS, Blu-ray, whatever it was. Um, I remember I bought the Canadian version to get an extra scene. I think it was. And then they released another DVD later on that had the Jackrabbit Slim's menu inside. Yeah, I, had, of it. I had that one, and I, and I was like, I already owned Pulp Fiction like three copies prior to that, so it was like it was it was in my 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 room had Reservoir Dogs posters, Pulp Fiction posters. It was crazy. Um, anyway, so Reservoir Dogs for a long time I thought that was his best movie, uh, just because of the direction of that film. I, I the way he writes, the way he directs, the way he utilizes music. Uh, I think I ultimately went with, went with Pulp Fiction because just he tells his his soundtrack is a is a character. Mm -hmm. uh, every song, like I've never seen a movie that has taken a song from me, and then every time I hear this song now, it's Pulp Fiction that pops in my mind. Yeah. Um, Al Green or, or even yeah. Jackie Brown with Across 110th Street. He makes music like a leading character, and like that's why I thought Hateful Eight was so interesting because it was. 
totally score driven mostly there was some soundtrack in there if i remember correctly but it was mostly any marconi's score uh which is rare for him because he's very soundtrack driven kill bill had m mixture of both but pulp fiction I don't, I don't, is there a score in that movie? I, I think it's just all mute soundtracks. What about that, like, huh, huh, huh? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I, that was, that was horrible. But generally, you know what I'm talking speaking, about. Yeah. Like, like, Black Eyed Peas take it and do something with it, like, yeah. like, 15 years later. But Pulp Fiction's a masterpiece because, I mean, you can boil it down to one thing. How do you make a scene funny when they blow a guy's head off? Right, yeah. right, right, right. Then, uh, right. Like, I mean, like, dude, it, it, dude it I is... shot Marvin in the face. But how, how do you find that tone? How is that funny? I mean, like, like he finds. These wicked tones in that movie. Pulp Fiction, by the way, I spent an entire summer taking every scene and trying to put it in order. It is fascinating if you put that movie in linear order. Right, because the, the, the last scene would be Bruce Willis pulling away on the on the chopper. Right. right? I'm trying to remember. I, I spent a whole the summer with this. The first scene is uh, is them is them in the car talking about about burgers. I think so because they because yeah, I'm trying to remember. I, I don't know, I spent a whole summer. My, my wallet says Bad Mother Effer on it. I mean, I, it's, 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 it's a Pulp Fiction, my number one, you know, no question. You know what's but... amazing about Pulp Fiction is that it's it's these, what is it, three anthology stories, essentially, that it follows. Yeah. Yeah. And they are the most unpredictable stories. You Like, from where they begin, you yeah. would never, if you got halfway through each of those stories and you paused it and turned to the person and said, where do you think this is going to go? You wouldn't come close to even guessing that the story of this boxer who yeah. has to go back and get the watch off the the, the nightstand <laughs> is going to turn into the car accident and the gimp. And you would never assume Dude. that the the date between Mia Wallace and uh, Travolta's character is going to end up with the heroin needle. Like they all just go to these places that you could never wrap your brain around. And we at the time we had I don't think we had seen in a mainstream film anything that pushed the envelope no. nearly as hard as Pulp Fiction does. Yeah. And by the way, nothing has ever, nobody has ever shot a hamburger more perfectly than Tarantino. Um, the thirty, the thirty-five <laughs> millimeter. Oh my god! The shot of that burger, it haunts me. Like at the thirty-five millimeter, it's so beautiful. It's sitting on this wrapper. It's breakfast time in the morning, and Jules and Vincent come in to take these guys out, and just the and the, oh my god, the sound effect of the sprite. Or the seven up when he's like <laughs> also <laughs> has sam, sam sam has never been better right no. in any movie no. he, never, he never will and no. that's but the I'll, quintessential I'll, I'll, though he and django he was pretty great in django great yeah. in django but i will but he had a, i mean here's the thing pulp fiction has affected my life so much i every time i go to church <laughs> i pick up a bible and i go to ezekiel 25 17 and i read it and it, 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 it's different than obviously it, it's uh tarantino added to it but I, i'm like sitting in church i'm like <laughs> like, like reading like Ezekiel twenty five seventeen, like this is Pulp Fiction. This is so awesome. But also think um, about like the impact that it made on movies too. Like all of his movies yeah. are inherently love letters to movies. But I one of, one of the reasons that I gave Pulp Fiction the edge for all the reasons you guys listed, but also it's the I'd argue the only one of his movies that truly changed original cinema. I mean, think about all the movies that came after Pulp Fiction. Then all of a sudden, everyone was trying to jumble up their timelines. Yeah. All of a sudden, everyone was trying to find a way to inject comedy right. into those, those really dark moments. The the mid nineties so were littered with uh, what was it? Go and uh, like so, so many different movies that tried to replicate what Pulp Fiction did. Yep. Because no one had ever no one. And here's here's what was interesting is that no one was quite sure what it was. And I think that's one of the reasons people weren't able to replicate it is because it's you you can't really describe what it is and why yeah. it works so well. So you, because yeah. of that, you can't replicate it. 
you could inherently probably try to replicate Inglorious Bastards pretty well, which I'd argue, if we're talking about movies, that would be our second place film. Inglorious Bastards would be number two for me. Yeah. Um, most of his movies, you could find a way to replicate fairly decently. But but Pulp Fiction is both a love letter to cinema, and sometimes shot for shot replicating some of his favorite movies. Like when when uh, Marcellus Wallace walks across the street, that's a shot from Psycho. That's that's Psycho. Right. You know that's his tip of the cap, and and the Gimp is is a tip of the cap to Deliverance. It's a love letter to cinema while also being a movie that changed cinema forever. My wife found this thing the other day, and I, I remember reading this years ago, but I don't know if it's confirmed about how they shot the needle scene in reverse. Uh, have you ever heard this story? Like they basically. Apparently Travolta really? That's interesting. did it in like reverse. Right. That way, because how else do you do that shot realistically? Anyways, look that up. I'm not 100 percent oh. sure, but I think he filmed it in reverse. How good is Eric Stoltz in that yeah. scene? But you, you also have to like get, one thing great. about that movie is just everything about it is perfect. Yeah. Um, and oddly enough, what I love about Quentin Tarantino, besides his musical choices, is his monologues and his dialogue. Um, and my favorite monologue of all time is not even in that movie, which it was True Romance, which was Walking and Hopper and uh, sequence. But he he would say which his best which uh, which which dialogue was that? Yeah, we're not going to get into that. But the um, <laughs> the uh, the but the opening of Inglorious Bastards might be the best directed scene he's ever done in his career, just simply because of the way the camera moved down the boards. The dust from the shots. I mean, nobody... Robert Richardson, one of the greatest cinematographers of all time. And remember, uh, Tarantino's editor for years, Sally... Is it Sally Menke? Um, yeah. Like, the editing she did on Pulp yeah. Fiction. And, and I think I think the, la the last film she did was before Django. I think they had a new editor. I think she passed away. Well, but, yeah, he is just... Think back to... This is, this is what cemented it to me. Like, it was already this incredible film. I'm trying to think back to the first time I watched it. And because of all of the places that it went and how good everybody was in it. But when we get to the the diner scene at the end and you realize it connects to the beginning, which by the time we oh. got to it, I'd forgotten that scene. Why You don't even remember yeah. that that scene is because you see so many other amazing things from the beginning of the opening that you forget that what the opening is. And then when you realize, oh, my God, we've come back around to this, that that melted my face. Yeah. There's still and stuff that his theory about like or not his theory, his explanation as to why uh he uses two different take why she says something different no. in the beginning that she does no so if you watch that scene in the oh, beginning wow. uh when she gets up and screams what she screams yeah it's a any little you, bit yeah. different what than she what scream? she screams what is it uh, if any of you uh if any of you <laughs> any of you f word p word move, move I'll, I'll execute every mother effing last one of you okay and it's different it's a end. little different it's a little different in the second time and it's because he wanted a different perspective he wanted like like the, the second time is how I didn't know that. uh vincent vega and jules hear it and the first time is what she actually says because huh. people ask him like why why did you use two different takes she says something different and apparently he wanted two different perspectives. Because in that moment, like, if you were to ask 20 people, it's like playing a game of telephone. Same they'd dialogue. all tell you something a little, oh, she said this. And someone would go, no, 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 she said this. So that's what he was trying well, to convey. That convent. sounds like he made a mistake and is covering it. Quentin Tarantino does not make a mistake, <laughs> He sir. made a mistake. I'm wondering if it was continuity. Because <laughs> I, 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 I never even mythology. noticed. But also, one thing that's interesting about that scene in the opening, I always wanted to ask him this. And I've interviewed him twice, but I, never, I, I need to talk to him about this if I, if I ever interview him again why he stops her mouth in the opening shot as she's saying that line remember her oh yeah mouth yeah. freezes and then the dick the, the, the comes continues. in mm. dun, 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 dun. 
But why? Why did I, 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 I always wondered that? Like, why? I always wondered, like, why didn't he let her continue the words? Right. And there's got to be a reason there. Clearly, um, he didn't just freeze it well, by mistake. But I mean, hashtag blend is, is not fun when we all pick the same movie. <laughs> That stinks. I don't like that. Okay, so, okay, so if, we're, if we've all agreed on his movie and, and we were going to pick his best scene, I say the opening scene from Inglorious Bastards. If you had to pick his, his best best single moment. Direction. Yes. Inglorious Bastards. Okay. I say the, I say the, well, if we're all going to agree on that then. No, I'm not going to agree on that. Um, but I would What's really have to scene? think about that. Mother of God. No, there's no, there's nothing more masterful than that. Opening. Maybe I mean what? Maybe the, maybe the uh, the massacre of, the, of Crazy Eighty Eights at the end of Kill Bill. No, I would One. say um, Uma's fight with the the girl with the chain ball. Um, it's a great scene. Yeah, but, but isn't that that's the crazy? That's part of the crazy. crazy you're you're saying like the scene, entire right? sequence? That yeah, entire that whole sequence? sequence. Yeah, yeah, that entire sequence is incredible to me. Yeah, that's incredible. Funny no, story. I, I'm a Kill Bill two guy over Kill Bill One. Oh, I don't like. Kill I don't Bill look at. Two. I don't look at them as two separate movies. I know, but if, one, I, not, neither movie. do I. But if I had to separate them, do you guys want to? Do you want to know who what our audience picked? Yes, please. Pulp Fiction. Hey, yeah. this week stinks. You're killing me, Smalls. <laughs> you know what's this funny? Week and Inglorious Bastards. They said Inglorious Bastards also. Yeah. To Jake's point about Inglorious Bastards, I'll tell one quick story, and I know we have to go. Yeah. Um. Uh. When I was first starting out in this job, uh, in 2000, what year did Grindhouse come out? It was 2007. Yeah, okay. sounds right. I'll look. So, um, Quentin Tarantino was doing a radio tour. Um, that And that junket, if I could have sat in a room with Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino, I would have flipped out. But Quentin comes on, and I was working at a radio show at the time, and, and the guys, I was doing movie reviews for them, uh, the junkies, and, the, and I was like, can I, can I just jump in for one question, please? Like, I, I, he's my favorite filmmaker of all time. So, um, I get in the room, I sit down, and I say to him, I said, and now looking back on it, I feel like I worded it wrong. Because I said, Mr. Tarantino, I mean, I've been watching your movies all my life. Do you ever think you'll top the scene from True Romance, the dialogue between Walker and Hopper? Uh, Walker and Hopper. And, and remember, keep in mind, at this point, Pulp Fiction had already come out. Reservoir Dogs had already come out. Jackie Brown had already come out. Everything Kill else you've done sucks. Will you ever yeah. do anything better? <laughs> no, he genuinely like got excited about it. He was like, oh my, oh, you really know my work. And he was like, he was like, I'm working on a film right now um, where I think I finally topped it. It's a World War II piece called Inglorious Bastards. And I think that I wrote a scene that finally topped that scene from True Romance. So then years later, I sat down with him for Django. And I said to him, I said, you know, now that we're here and, and Bastards has already come out, do you still believe that you think the opening of Bastards is better than True Romance scene? He goes, 100%. Wow. He goes, he, he thinks it's the best scene he's ever written. And the best scene... Part of me, though, wonders... If he had actually directed True Romance, would he feel differently about it? And he 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 said on record right, because a bunch Bastards of times, is his baby, so he feels a little bit right. Yeah. I mean, also True Romance, by the way, was nonlinear. Tony Scott made it more made it linear, and then apparently changed the ending. Quentin's ending, Christian Slater dies. I like both ideas of both endings, but yeah, I did. Do they ever Tarantino shoot that, or did they just straight up? I think so. I think it. I have. I think it's on the DVD. I think I've actually watched. Tarantino never does commentaries, right. but he did one for for True Romance, which I thought That's was awesome. That is yeah, it, it was, oh, and then I think he did one with Hostel for Eli Roth. But I love Grindhouse too. I mean, I could talk about Tarantino all day. It's kind of a it's crazy. The I picture you thing. have of him holding the reel. What was that junket for? Oh, I have that reel behind me. Uh, that was for uh, Hateful Eight. I um we used to work at a movie theater. And a guy named Jeremy, who worked at the um, projector booth, he used to have the trailers sitting in the back. This is back when all the theaters had 35 millimeter projectors. 
and he gave me the um, the one that was on the front of Gangs in New York. It was a, uh, and it, I remember the Kill Bill. It says, "Don't show between anywhere between on any PG or G movies." <laughs> and it was the, it was the original trailer before <laughs> cool. Weinstein divided it, so it ended on that Trickster for Kids line. Right. And it was all it was just Kill Bill at the time. It was it was just it wasn't two volumes. <laughs> right. So um, yeah, that was the picture. That's amazing. That's cool. All right, next week, your homework is we're gonna go actor again. Ooh, and it's the filmography of Tom Cruise. We're doing hashtag cruise blend next week. That's hard. That's that's actually a mission that's impossible. (laughs) I mean, I'm being serious. Oh, God, that sucked. It's going to be a fun one. That's actually, that's not possible. It's going to be possible. And and once again, here's what makes it hard. It's his best work. Performance. His press best, performance. Best performance. Yes. Not our favorite. Not your favorite. So start that, And that's what makes now. it hard. Because immediately my <laughs> knee-jerk reaction goes to a handful, but then I go, well, is that his actual best work? Why be I like huh. this, and Jake and I discuss this a lot, right. like Tom Cruise is one of the most underrated actors working today because he's so famous and because of who he is. Like he gets kind of like put into this celebrity category, but you forget Born on the Fourth of July and like Vanilla Sky and things that he genuinely has – sick range so does brad pitt and jesse james and like 12 monkeys and fight club so i I think a lot of these guys get so big that they you forget how good they are and Um, and i have a great uh story for for next week about uh and sort of an interview kind of thing i did with with tom cruise that i think is probably the greatest celebrity professional experience i'll ever have in my entire life nice and it it involves tom cruise and it is what i consider to be the all-time great junket and yeah. uh, and it's the, and it's and it's essentially the tease is it's Tom Cruise saying I don't want to just sit in a hotel room and do interviews anymore. <laughs> and what we did instead, it's pretty great. It will like I will die, and if <laughs> and if it's somehow not in my top five greatest days of my life, <laughs> then I just had the most amazing life yeah, yeah, yeah. imaginable. Yeah, yeah. All That's right. what I'll say. That's the tease. All right, you can find us uh, on social media at Real Blend. Uh, so please follow the account and uh, follow the actions of the show. Uh, Jake, you are also at. Jake's takes. Kevin, you are at uh, at Infinity War spoilers. <laughs> and I that, that's my Twitter. <laughs> I'm at Sean underscore O'Connell. Uh, we are on iTunes and Spotify and Google Play and all those great places. So please give us a a rating and a star uh, linking and all of that amazing stuff. Tune in for our next show. We are down for Monday, April thirtieth, live here on Facebook uh, at four p.m. Eastern. We will be joined um, by managing editor. Uh, Eric Davis over at Fandango, who is a really good guy guy and loves the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, He's often breaking scoops on that beat and is going to join us for the spoiler discussion about Infinity War. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's show. And we will be back on Monday where we can discuss Avengers Infinity War spoilers. So get to the movie theaters and we will see you guys next week. Dunkirk! Dunkirk! This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.